What is it about the devil that makes him the devil, and how does God prevent it from happening to us? Find out on this episode of Inverse. Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Hey, welcome back, friends, to this episode of Inverse. We are in the midst of talking about the book of Daniel. We've been looking at different characteristics of the character of Daniel in the book of Daniel, and we're in the midst of chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, take it out, whether it's on your phone or in an actual book, take it out, and we'll be reading from chapter 4. But before we start, I'm going to ask Israel, can you pray for us? Sure. Thank you, Father in heaven, for your word, and thank you that it speaks to us about different experiences to guide us in our own Christian walk. Please join us in our conversation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, Callie, can you read chapter 4? And this is a long chapter, but I think the apex is found in verse 20. Verse 20 to 22. Okay. 20 22. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Okay, and skip down to verse 25, and we'll read from 25 to 27, if you don't mind, Kel. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, after you come to know that heaven rules." Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. And I'll read from verse 28, which is like a pretty crazy apex of the story. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the palace, the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven uh, fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling place shall be, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know the most high rules in the kingdom of men, and gives to, gives it to whom, whomever he chooses. Um, Sebastian, what in the world is going on in this chapter? <laughs> Ah, well, it does seem like a lot, but it is essentially Nebuchadnezzar penning his personal testimony. Mm. How he went from being the prideful king that he was of Babylon to being a humble worshiper of the God of heaven. Mm -hmm. And he starts off by having a dream. Obviously, we go through the same thing we went through in chapter 2. People can't interpret the dream, on and on. Daniel comes in, interprets this dream for him, but Daniel is so moved by it because he sees what it means gives it to Nebuchadnezzar for a year, he's okay. Then we, we go to the passage you just read, beginning in verse 28, mm. where essentially he never really accepts Daniel's advice fully. Mm. And therefore in his pride, he boasts over Babylon, he's driven from men, and eventually God 
having guaranteed him that once you know what I'm trying to teach you in this experience, then your kingdom will be returned to you. Mm -hmm. And this is Nebuchadnezzar basically penning that whole experience. Yeah. Chapter 4, it's pretty interesting that it's, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar has written this chapter. Yes. Uh, everything else has been written by Daniel and or can be attributed to Daniel in some way. But chapter 4 is written by a heathen Gentile, uh, <laughs> yes. kind of wicked on most of his life, uh, mm -hmm. a wicked king. Um, what do you know about King Nebuchadnezzar's character? What's, what's going on here? And what, what, what is the spiritual application we can make about Nebuchadnezzar's in our life? Israel? Well, we looked at, uh, in, in our first lesson, we looked at the fact that King Nebuchadnezzar, we contrasted a little bit King Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel. They had mm -hmm. similar experiences. One person is freaking out at night, yeah. and the other one is uh, Daniel is sleeping, sleeping at night. even yeah. though they both don't have answer to prayers. Mm -hmm. um, and so you also have the response the response of King Nebuchadnezzar to what God has given to him. So many in many situations, you have the King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging God. He acknowledges God as the as the one who gave him the the, uh, the vision in Daniel chapter two. He acknowledges God uh, as the one who is with the three Hebrew boys. He acknowledges God in all these different situations. But God is not just looking for us to acknowledge Him. He's looking for us to have him change us from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so knowing God, when we think about a knowledge of God, here Daniel points out a knowledge of God doesn't come through an acquaintance or through a cognitive understanding of God existing, but rather through an intimate personal relationship mm -hmm. so that that relationship that we have with them actually transforms us. And this is something that King Nebuchadnezzar never experienced in his previous uh, three chapters, right? Mm -hmm. He never experienced a transformative power of a connection with the living God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it makes me wonder whether Daniel was sent to Nebuchadnezzar, to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar's court to primarily to save him uh, yeah. a, a personal Absolutely. interaction with. And it makes me wonder, like, who are the Nebuchadnezzars of our lives? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's that, that atheist professor or that neighbor who's cantankerous or, you know, I don't know who these, who these people are who are not always, you know, the, the low class, but sometimes a high class and rich and powerful and, and the upper ups. Well, to be fair, it, it's oftentimes a group that is overlooked. Mm -hmm. We assume that people who are physically lacking are most open to the gospel, mm -hmm. but not recognizing that the wealthy have their sort of famines in their lives as well. They have the things that they are lacking as well mm -hmm. and that they are souls to be saved. Jesus loves them equally the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kelly? I forgot what I was yeah. going to say. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, God. Yeah, so the, another thing that, that, that kind of inter intertwines with the narrative here of King Nebuchadnezzar is Daniel's own experience. Mm. Because, you know, Daniel is taken as an er in, in his early years, he's taken stripped away from his home, the home of faithful people. Right. And he's grown up as a faithful uh, follower of God. And he's stripped away from that which is comfortable, that which is, uh, you know, good in life. And yes. he's and he's taken captive. Yeah. And so a lot of times we've asked the question, I know I have, why is it that good things happen, bad things happen to good people mm -hmm. and the wicked prosper? Here you have a wicked nation mm -hmm. taking over God's people. And part of that is the extraction of Daniel. Mm -hmm. But if you were at some point in, in, in your lifetime, in Daniel's lifetime, ask him, hey, Daniel, how was this experience? You're taken away from, from your family, your people, everyone you knew for, for the sake of this person. 
Daniel would go back and say, I think his response would be, God is faithful. Mm -hmm. God is love. God is trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And so many times we ask ourselves, why is it that bad things happen to good people? God is able to use these circumstances Mm -hmm. for the salvation of other people. Mm -hmm. And so it's also important to look at Nebuchadnezzar's experience from Daniel's perspective, what God has to do to Daniel in order to save King Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And many it's also rebuke to Israel. Uh, this nation of God's people was put in the midst of Gentiles, and they're supposed to witness to all these Gentiles, but they didn't. Yes. And so here they're brought into the courtyard of, of this heathen king, mm-hmm. and Daniel, in a sense, is fulfilling what the Israelites should have been doing That's back right. this whole time. I remember what I was going to say. Mm. So going back to your other question mm-hmm. of Nebuchadnezzar's in our life, mm-hmm. I see how, and it, again, it is only chapter 4, but you see how long it took mm. to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And I, I know sometimes we're thinking about, you know, bringing the people to Christ. It's kind of like, I gave you your chance. You said no. All right, moving on. Let's find someone else. Let's find right. like a quicker response. Right. Um, and you just, we want numbers, right? We want like, we say to all these people and I invest in all these people. But what if God is calling us to devote our life just to sew it in one person mm. or just sew it in one small circle. And you think about, you know, our family members or our close friends who don't know Christ. And it's like, man, I'd rather go witness in like a foreign country because that's easier. <laughs> but what if God is calling you to witness to your, to your parents or to your children or to your siblings? Mm. And that's a lot harder and you can't run from that. But those are just as much souls as Nebuchadnezzar was and as people sure. are in foreign countries. Sure. They're as important sure. as Nebuchadnezzar that's, was. That's sobering. Yeah. And also I, I see Nebuchadnezzar's in life where you find people who have pride, and pride in its essence feels no need. And that's what makes it hard to witness to them. Well, that's my next question, uh, and you're, you're partially answering it. Why, and I know it, intuitively it's bad, but why is pride so bad? And, 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 and you're saying Go. no need, yeah? Well, in, in essence, pride, you know, because it feels no need, is the most anti-God, you know, character attribute you can possess. Mm-hmm. Because God is the only being that has no need. Mm. And in essence, right, there's no better s- form of self-idolatry than to have pride. Because mm-hmm. you're essentially saying, I have no need. Mm-hmm. Even of God himself, who I'm actually, you know, exercising pride on his dime. I'm living on his, his grace, yet mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, I have no need. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's kind of the greatest form of madness, which is why I believe madness is what was the result. Right, that this wasn't just a coincidence that this was the sort of the, the chastisement or the means by which God corrected this attribute in him. Mm-hmm. It is because pride is a form of actual madness. Yeah. And in this sense to think, I have no need, but you're a completely dependent being. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes pride so painful to God. Because how can I share my grace? How can I save you if you won't even come and admit that you have a problem, that you mm-hmm. won't even admit that you have need? Mm-hmm. And I think we feel that with the Nebuchadnezzars in our lives mm-hmm. who as we exercise our walk with Christ and we're thinking, I really want to pray for this person to be saved, yet they feel zero need, zero desires. I have no problems. Mm -hmm. I have money. I have a bank account. I can go out and everything's taken care of. I have perfect credit. What do I need God for? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think think, uh, Daniel chapter 2 is, yeah, talking about Nebuchadnezzar's in our life, but I think also very, very critically is talking about I am Nebuchadnezzar, Mm. right? There are so many times in my life when I think I don't need God for this. I don't need God for that. Mm -hmm. God, I'm smart enough to be able to handle this situation on my own. God, I'm rich enough to be able to solve this problem on my own. Mm -hmm. And, And this idea that Jesus came and dwelt among us and as the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, said of my own self, I've, I can do nothing. 
We don't live life like that. There are so many things in our lives that we think we can do. We're, we think we're capable of saving ourselves. Mm -hmm. And essentially, this is what Nebuchadnezzar's problem is. Nebuchadnezzar's problem is that he thinks that power and majesty and greatness is something that is in his possession, that he mm -hmm. himself is, the, 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 you know, the, a savior, right? Mm -hmm. And, and this, is the, this is the epitome, this is the foundation of all false religion, that man and women in and of themselves can do something to save themselves, That's something right. that would rid themselves sure. of their need from, sure, from God. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's very interesting. Verse, verse 30, uh, I read there, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal, mm -hmm. royal dwelling for, by my magic? I can't read. My mighty, my mighty power <laughs> and for the honor of my majesty. There, there's these studies that they have, um, psychology studies, that they went into journals of those who were, like you said, uh, those who were mentally... Uh, displaced. I don't yeah. know what the, prof the, like the mental displaced, displaced like or depression, serious clinical, high, heavy levels of depression. And they went through their, their journals and they said they all had a higher proportion of a couple words than the normal population. And can you guess what those words are? I and me. I, me, my. The first, first, first person pronouns. Yep. There I don't know good. my grammar. Yeah, there you, you go. There so <laughs> there's this, there's this, like you said, there's this focus on self, and it's borderline, if not clinical madness, or uh, some spiritual thing going on. When we come back after the break, we're going to look at this crazy incident of Nebuchadnezzar going into some madness. He's going to eat, be eating grass and going into wolf-like tactics. Stay with us after the break. Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. Pride is a huge danger point for us human beings. We were simply not made with the capacity to live beyond on who we were created to be. I don't know if that made sense, but it made That's sense true. in my mind. Mm. Uh, and here in Nebuchadnezzar, he's trying to be bigger than who he was. And this is a problem for in, in God's eyes. So I want to ask you all the question, isn't it kind of intense that here Nebuchadnezzar goes, and in my imagination, he's out in the veranda, and he's got these weird Babylonian robes with a big ba Babylonian hat. And he's like, you know, is not this my <laughs> kingdom that I've made? You know, you guys know the, yes. the pictures yeah. and the, the drama that you imagine. And then all of a sudden, boom, God gives him some wolf-like, you know, madness disease. And, you know, he's out in the, uh, the Bible says he's there for seven years, right? Yeah. He's eating grass and he looks like a wolf and he's doing all these like, you know, howling at the moon. The Bible doesn't say that, but that's in my imagination. And it's happening for seven years. Is not that an ill-proportionate response to a single comment that, that Nehemiah, uh, not Nehemiah, uh, Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> wrong made? Wrong quarter. Uh, yeah, wrong, wrong quarter. But that's, that's the misunderstanding. Yes, is that explain it to us. It's not a response <laughs> to a, the comment. <laughs> it's not a response to the comment. Mm. It's a response to the condition. Uh -huh. So he's responding to pride. Mm -hmm. And notice in the text he says, until you know. That the most high rules. Where, where are you? Where are you? He's jumping all the place. 30, Sorry. 32, yes? Correct. So yes, okay. if you down on to verse 32, he says, mm -hmm. And they shall drive you from men, mm -hmm. and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Mm -hmm. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And that seven times really quick is just seven years. Yes. yes. Very yeah. easy. Yes. Okay. Yep. So when, when you look at that, the seven years is, you know, um, 
an, a, a measurement of completion to say until you get to this point where you have this understanding in your mind, mm -hmm. this is how long you're going to bear this condition. Mm -hmm. And what it, what it always spoke to me is that, Sebastian, there may be things that God is continually allowing in your life mm -hmm. until you know something mm -hmm. that God needs you to know in order for you to fully be the vessel that he wants to use. Mm -hmm. And so for Nebuchadnezzar, God is using him just by the fact that he's writing this chapter, mm -hmm. that his conversion is influencing his subjects and his kingdom and how he's ruling. But yet it was a critical thing that he needed to learn that he could only learn by experience. Mm -hmm. And my dad used to say that, you know, experience is the best teacher, but a fool learns by no other means. So in essence... Hey, say that again, say that one more time, experience? So experience is the best teacher, mm. but a fool learns by no other means, mm -hmm. right? So in essence, you should first learn from the mistakes of others. Yes. But if you can't do that, then you're going to have to learn by experience, yeah. which is you're going to learn it well, it but it's going to be painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as, as you read this passage too, it also gives us an insight into the, into the mind and the character of God. Yes. Because what happens here is, first of all, God is honest with Nebuchadnezzar, right? He says, I mean, he says like, look, you're great. Your kingdom is big. He, and, and it's interesting that God would take that kind of approach to a person who's already proud, right? <laughs> yeah. Like whenever, if I detect even an ounce of pride in my, in my children, <laughs> I like go all out. I'm like, I need to eradicate this thing, you know? It's like, hey, dad, I did pretty good on my exam. <clears throat> but where'd you get your wisdom from, right? I mean, <laughs> and, and, and so it's like immediately, immediately we try to kill, aggressive. we try to kill that thing. Yeah. But, but God... <laughs> God doesn't hide the fact that Nebuchadnezzar, in the eyes of humanity, is a great king. And, and he's gentle on that. Yeah, he's gentle with his pride. Yeah. Weird, yeah, yeah. And then another thing, too, is what I love about the passage is that God has a positive view for the outcome of Nebuchadnezzar, mm -hmm. right? That he says, like, in the end, yeah, you're going to become crazy and so forth. But in the end, this is going to be restored to you. The stump will remain. You will regain your, you will regain your reason and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so... It gives us an insight into into the mind and into the character, into the dealings that God has with his people. So there's, from one angle, you can look at it like this is really, really harsh. God made him become insane. But from another perspective, you can really see the gentleness of God, that he doesn't overdo it. Like he, he, works, with, he works with Nebuchadnezzar. He lets him know you're going to be okay at the end. Mm -hmm. I, I, the great God who knows what's going to happen in the future, who knows you by name, who, who, you know, is going to have a kingdom that will never end. I have good thoughts about your future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is, is, is Nebuchadnezzar here, um, is, is, is this part of his salvation? Like, is, 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 does Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar need this, 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 this crazy experience in his life to be saved? Like, does God use illness and mental illness to save us? Sebastian, you're struggling. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say that, that God uses mental illness to save us, but I, I will say that God finds ways to get our attention uh -huh. through pain, through discomfort, mm -hmm. and through trials and tribulations. When you, when you think about the fact that the Bible tells us in Hebrews 5 that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. When you think about how many people would never have come to Jesus were it not for pain, were it not for suffering, were it not for disappointment or bitterness. So maybe that God didn't cause the suffering, but he Absolutely definitely utilizes not. the opportunity of suffering. And he can overrule a situation mm -hmm. and use it mm -hmm. for good. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if as much as God causes it as God is describing. Mm -hmm. I Kelly. just think of Romans 8 of not, all, 8. not all things are good, but God works all, to, all things together for good. Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. mental illness, even suffering, even... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another another thing that strikes me, I look I look at this situation a little bit differently, 
to me, what, what really strikes me as I look at the life of Nebuchadnezzar is the fact that God's power, just the power of God, is potent enough to be able to save someone in their insanity, mm. right? There's no limit to the power of God to reach and to save that which is lost. And you have Nebuchadnezzar that, you know, from any human perspective, you're thinking like, this guy looks like a beast. He looks like an animal. He acts like an animal. He's, he's eating grass. I mean, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet God's, the gospel is able to penetrate through all, that. Through all of that and reach and, and grab a hold of Nebuchadnezzar and save him. And another thing that kind of really, really struck me is, you know, you can never, we can never be crazier than God. Like God, what God is doing is the craziest of all things, mm -hmm. right? In that he is willing to go to whatever extent necessary to save humanity, to save Nebuchadnezzar. He is so crazy, so radical that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the, that's, there's nothing crazier than that. There's nothing more radical than that, than a, then the great God of the universe would give his only son mm. to save humanity. And so you have here this parallel picture of how crazy Nebuchadnezzar gets, and God has to be crazier than he is to be able to rescue him, mm -hmm. more radical. Can I ask you all a, a maybe a personal, uh, practical, applicational question? Has God ever done this in your life? Or has he, has he just tried to get your attention in a very major way? Uh, I mean, maybe not some wolf, some wolf yeah, sickness. <laughs> I don't or think I have anything. I don't. Uh, maybe this but is, in, a, in a minor way, I mean, it doesn't have to be that this 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 dramatic. Yeah, my story isn't definitely this extreme, but it is a time where I think God really humbled me mm. to get my attention. Mm. Um, so when I was in community college, I was running an, an Adventist campus ministry there, and I uh, I wanted to join some of the clubs on campus because I just like to do that. So I remember I was going to join a club, and I distinctly remember being convicted that I shouldn't. But I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to do it anyways. And so I went into this room where they're all meeting, everyone who's interested. And we sat down and we're going around talking about, it was a journalism club. And so we're going around um, talking about what we wanted to write about. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at expressing myself and, you know, talking about things. And it, when it came to me, it was like I lost the ability to speak proper sentences and I could tell they thought like start eating grass and I did no <laughs> but like, so, it's like so what's your name I'm like Callie and they're like okay Callie I'm like okay so what do you like to write about Callie I'm like no I'm a good writer and I can speak well but I, I couldn't form sentences it was huh. so weird huh. and so I, I like like this is weird so I was like I like to write and they were okay. like all right uh -huh. and then I was, so I left and it was just and this does sound weird, but it, it really was just an impression of like, that's what it's like to handle things without God. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and it wasn't like God left me, like he hates me, but like you, I told you not to and you went. And that's, uh, those are all of your abilities outside of me. I'm like, I will never do that again. Yeah. And I just yeah. see that as kind of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, saying that I did all these things. Even our ability to communicate effectively, mm -hmm. that in and of itself is a gift from God, let alone gold and success and all these things. Just mm -hmm. being able to have a proper conversation. Mm -hmm. Jesus needs to be there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think uh, an experience that it kind of reminded me when I used to do door-to-door uh, -door ministry, and I remember uh, going through an experience where I'm, I'm doing missionary work, but when it was time for my lunch break, you know, I would, I'm supposed to take an hour, but I'm taking like an hour and a half, and I'm like slowly getting back to work, and oh yeah, you know, but I'm, I'm a radical missionary, right? I'm out here knocking doors, and so I'm, I'm committed to God, but yet I'm, I'm shaving time off, right? Off to the creator of the universe. And so 
during this first period of time, I did it for 10 weeks. In the first four weeks, I think I sold maybe to two individuals, right? I had maybe two people. And so I, I recall coming to a point where I had a, a moment where I was in a home and I was talking to a family. And as I was dialoguing with this individual about, you know, buying these books and for their home and the spirituality of their home, and we're, I was in there for probably two to three hours. And I mean, I was laboring with this person. And by the end of it, it was like 10 p.m. at night, and the person was like, no, nah, I just don't think this is for me. Hmm. And it took everything, you know, in my manhood not to break down and start crying, right? Because you're like, this guy's in my house offering me books. Like, why is he breaking down crying? <laughs> so I'm like, let me, let me just gather myself. I drove home, and I remember I couldn't sleep all night. And I ended up praying all night because in my mind I was thinking, man, you know, this person could end up being lost, right? This could be their last opportunity. And over just real petty reasons about, you know, what I was offering to them. And what it did was it broke me. Mm. And it was like God's way of saying, well, Sebastian, if you're going to be out here to be a, a real missionary, do you have a heart for souls? Mm -hmm. Do you really love souls enough not to be shaving extra time off on lunch and doing this and that and the third? And so it was crazy that after that happened, the next day I had a, a season of prayer and, you know, for several hours and, um, from that day forward, I never went a day without two to three homes hmm. accepting the books. I never went a day without praying and seeing a family go through a spiritual transformation because of my visit. And I was thinking to myself, this is crazy how it's night and day. Hmm. And that was the critical fulcrum that changed it was God got my attention. And now it's like, you know what? I'm here and I actually love souls and I'm willing to hot, be hot. I'm willing to sweat. I'm willing to be broken in order to reach people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just, it reminds me of this idea that, you know, God wants to pour out so many blessings into our lives, yeah. but he only wants to give us enough that keeps us close. Yeah. And so it's just this, this catch, this catch 22 of like, okay, how much can I bless you, but you'll still know it's me and not mm -hmm. just idolize the blessings. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of that, of like, maybe, you know, God needed to bring Sebastian and all of us to just different places. Like, okay, I can't wait to do this. Mm -hmm. But like in Sebastian's case, I need to take Sebastian to a place where he doesn't think like, man, I'm really good at getting books out. Like, mm -hmm. let me break you. Okay. Now he can do great. And yes. God just needs to take us to that place. Um, and, and all the different spheres that he uses yeah. us. Yeah. The, the Bible, the Bible is like a mirror. And, and we look at, we look at Nebuchadnezzar and we're thinking, and we think to ourselves, man, Nebuchadnezzar, what a, you know, what a crazy man that he, he was, why was he so proud and so forth? Yet I realized that I'm a lot prouder than he is with a lot less, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, he, 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 yeah. built, we're the same in a lesser yeah. position. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah, he yeah. built, he did, he did have he, something to boast yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. one of the yeah. seven wonders of the world. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of Babylon. and yet we boast with the little that we have. Yeah. 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 My takeaway is that, man, God speaks to us in different ways, but mainly through pain and suffering to get our attention. And pride is something that makes us numb to this form of communication. Hopefully you've been blessed by this conversation. And maybe you out there have been struggling with some things out there. And, and, and you're saying, Lord, why are you causing all these things to happen to me? We're going to ask that. Uh, pray with us and join us as we, 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 we go to the Lord together and say, Lord, what would you have us to do? What is your radical communication to us at this time in our life? Hopefully you've been blessed by this conversation. I know I have. It's making me think about different stages of my life. Join us next week here on Inverse. You've been listening to Inverse a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jonathan Walter, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by The Hope Channel, television that changes lives. 
For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag Inverse Bible. Until next time, this is Inverse.